Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. We are picking up the pace of our journey with Jesus through the gospel of Mark. For several weeks now, we have seen how Jesus in Mark chapter 1 successfully launched his ministry in Galilee. And then after a series of conflicts in chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, the religious and political establishment in Galilee reject Jesus. We know this because Mark tells us in chapter 3, verse 6, that the Pharisees, a prominent religious group in Galilee, and the Herodians, supporters of King Herod, the ruler of Galilee, two groups who would usually have nothing to do with one another, come together to look for a way to kill Jesus early on in his ministry. He's already a marked man. And yet, even as the powers are rejecting him, his popularity continues to grow with crowds of people from all over the region coming to see and hear him. And in response to all of this, Mark tells us in chapter 3, verse 13 and following, that Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. A number of interesting and important things happen on mountains in the Hebrew Scriptures. Commands are given on a mountain. Covenants, agreements, are made on a mountain. Communities are formed on a mountain. And here, Jesus goes to the mountain to form a new community. 
by choosing 12, not seven, not 10, but 12, as in the 12 tribes of Israel, Jesus is declaring his intention to restore Israel. This is yet another way through a symbolic action, calling 12 around him, that Jesus is revealing the purpose of his ministry. He did not come to tell some perplexing stories or to walk around and heal a few people, seemingly at random. He didn't come to irritate the religious authorities. He came to kick off what the prophets have called the restoration of all things, beginning with Israel, God's chosen covenant people. Jesus' goal, though, was not to make Israel great again. The gospel is so much bigger than that. His goal was to make all things new, beginning with Israel. But Israel was just the beginning. This symbolic action solidifies the break with the political and the religious establishment that's now trying to kill him. This is a deeply subversive and revolutionary move by Jesus. It's also deeply strategic. Facing the threat of death on one side and growing popularity on the other, Jesus now has to multiply himself so that his ministry can expand and continue in his absence. So calling these 12 is not just symbolic. It's functional. It's practical. Jesus gives them a job description. Their job description first is to be with Jesus. They will be with Jesus. They now have special access to Jesus. They have backstage passes. They are insiders. And as they are with Jesus, as they gain insights from Jesus, as they learn the secrets of the kingdom of God from Jesus, he is going to send them out to preach good news and to cast out demons. In the original language, the word in these verses translated as send out is from where we get the word apostle. An apostle is someone who is sent out for a special purpose. A designated person sent out for a special purpose. And their special purpose is to continue to do what they have witnessed Jesus doing. They're going to preach good news and they're going to take on the forces of evil. So Jesus gives these 12 tremendous responsibility. And these are the 12, the chosen ones that Jesus designates as his representatives, his ambassadors, his apostles sent into the world. There's Simon. Jesus nicknames him Peter. Peter. 
which means rock or stone, probably because Peter is the de facto leader of this group. He'll also be the cornerstone of this new community Jesus is forming, or maybe also because Simon the rock sinks like one. There's James and John. Jesus nicknames them the sons of thunder. This might be a reference to their hot tempers. One time, a village refuses to welcome Jesus and his disciples, and these two sons of thunder ask Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven and just annihilate everyone? Another time, they send a cease and desist letter to a man who is successfully casting demons out of others in the name of Jesus because this man is not an official member of their group. Jesus, he's violating our trademark. We've got to stop him. Then there's also, in the middle of this list, a group of, well, relative unknowns. We know Little to nothing about them. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew. We assume that's Levi, the tax collector that Jesus calls in Mark chapter two. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Everybody knows Alphaeus. (laughs) Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. This could be a reference to his belonging to a violent revolutionary group that wants to overthrow the Roman government. And then there's Judas Iscariot. Looks like it's cut off on the, those screens. It's not cut off on that one. Got a lot of screens to watch here. And then there's Judas Iscariot. Iscariot could be, maybe, not saying it's absolutely true, but it might be a reference to Judas belonging to the Sakari or the Sakari, the dagger men. These were Jewish assassins trained to use a short, curved dagger to stab officials and aristocrats in crowds. Now, I'm not absolutely saying that's who Judas was, but it makes for a very good story, and it's possible. But more importantly, Mark also reminds us Judas is the one who later on is going to betray and hand Jesus over to the authorities in Jerusalem. These 12 disciples form the nucleus of the early church. They are, if you will, the founding members of the first community of Christ followers. There's a theory in church leadership that says a congregation's DNA is formed primarily by the founding members who were there at the beginning and helped get that congregation started. Greenville Oaks, is the kind of church it is today in part because of the theological, relational, practical DNA of those who initially gathered and helped get this church started. I know we have some founding members of Greenville Oaks in this room right now. 
And to you, we say, thank you. We also blame you. <laughs> but mostly we say, thank you. These 12 formed the DNA of the early Christian movement. And knowing this, what can we say about them? Well, first, they're a group of nobodies. They did not come from prominent families, as far as we can tell. They were not powerful people. They were not scholars. They were unknown. Jesus plucked them from obscurity. They weren't on anyone's most likely to succeed list. They were also a radically diverse group, maybe even a dangerously diverse group. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, collected taxes by the lake. He taxed fishermen. At least four of these disciples were fishermen, and two of them had hot heads. How much time do you think they enjoyed spending together? How do you think they felt when the fishermen felt when Jesus called Matthew and said, he's going to be one of us now? Oh, not him. Simon the Zealot dedicated himself to kicking the Romans out of the Holy Land. Judas may have been trained to assassinate government officials. How do you think they felt about working with a tax collector for the government they hated? And do you think Matthew slept with one eye open the first couple of weeks they were all together? A possible modern equivalent, if you can imagine, Jesus calling a MAGA Republican and a Bernie Sanders Democrat to follow him, to come close and be with him, and to learn, both of them, a new way of life from him. Now, this was a radically, maybe dangerously diverse group of followers. They did not naturally trust one another. It was not their predisposition to like each other. It was also an egocentric group. We know from other stories, they're forever jockeying for positions of power and prestige. Peter likes to tell everyone, including Jesus, what to do. James and John think they're better than the others and believe they deserve a place at Jesus' right and left hand. The only thing holding this group together is their loyalty to Jesus, and that has its limits. By the end of the story, as Jesus is dying on a cross, we can label every one of these disciples, these so-called apostles, as failures who deserted, denied, and betrayed the one who initially called and drew them in together. Are these really the best Jesus could do? Is this really Jesus' vision 
of the ideal church? Is this the kind of founding DNA Jesus wants to embed in his movement? One of the arguments skeptics make, those who reject the historical reliability of the Gospels, is they say that these disciples fabricated Jesus' teachings. They exaggerated his deeds, and ultimately, they invented his resurrection, all as part of a conspiracy to take over the world. A counter-argument to this is if these stories are made up, especially these stories that involve the disciples, do you really think they would have described themselves in such unflattering terms? Rather than portraying themselves as mumbling, bumbling, fumbling nobodies who fail Jesus when he needs them most, don't you think if they were making it all up to begin with, they would have portrayed themselves to be a bit more heroic? Why didn't they delete Judas from the record? Embarrassing his inclusion is. This dagger man who stabbed Jesus in the back was with them the whole time. They didn't recognize him for who he was? Why not clean up that part of the story? Church tradition holds that Mark wrote down the stories he heard Peter telling about Jesus. And if the gospel of Mark is actually the gospel according to Peter, why would Peter reveal himself to be such a coward after Jesus is arrested if it were not really true, if it didn't contain an essential element of the power of the gospel. Now, isn't there something beautifully true, beautifully realistic, beautifully authentic about this diverse group, this motley crew of disciples that Jesus gathers around him? Doesn't it have the ring of truth to it? Toby Keith, I bet you weren't expecting that to be the next thing coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Toby Keith has a song called I Love This Bar. The song's 20 years old now. And in it, he describes all the different kind of people who congregate at his favorite watering hole. And here are a few lyrics from the song. He he says, we got winners, we got losers, chain smokers and boozers, and we got yuppies, we got bikers, we got thirsty hitchhikers, we got cowboys, we got truckers, brokenhearted fools and suckers, raise your hand, we got hustlers, we got fighters, early birds, and well, we got all-nighters. He goes on, he says, I love this bar. It's my kind of place. Just walking through the front door puts a big smile on my face. It ain't far. Come as you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I love this bar. Now, you're just applauding the bar. I know what you're applauding. Now, minus drinking copious amounts of alcohol from a mason jar, this song's a pretty good description of the church. A diverse group of broken, imperfect, hurting people miraculously drawn together by something. And in the church's case, we're drawn together by Jesus. And I wonder if when Jesus looked at his original first disciples, or if as he looks at all of us gathered here today, in spite of our differences, our hangups, our weaknesses, our failures, wonder if when he looks at us, he says, mm, mm, mm. I love this church. There is something hopeful about the calling of these first disciples for those of us who come after them. From the beginning, Jesus has gathered around himself broken, imperfect, unreliable, self-absorbed, power-hungry, politically confused sinners to represent him in the world. And over 2,000 years, Jesus has not changed his strategy. And so how can we read the Gospels and see the kind of people Jesus gathers around him as he's beginning his movement and think that we have to pretend to be smarter or better or more put together than we really are? It's like we think that by enhancing our image and amplifying our strengths and minimizing our weaknesses and deleting our failures from the public record, we're making Jesus look better. What makes Jesus look good, what reveals the genius of Jesus' strategy, what reveals the transforming power of the gospel, is the way Jesus keeps choosing and using broken people like us to make a difference in the world. Yes, that means there are going to be some embarrassing and dark parts in the story. But the gospel is bigger and brighter than the darkest parts of the story. I love this line from Leonard Cohen when he says, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. And that's how the light gets in. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. And when I look out at all of us gathered here today, when I look in the mirror, do you know what I see? I see a lot of cracks. Which means I also see a lot of gospel. Because that's how the light gets in.
Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for calling us to be with you, to learn from you, to become more like you. We're so grateful that you can look beyond our sins, our weaknesses, our failures, and call something out of us that allows us to shine your light into the world. Oh, we wish we weren't cracked, but we are. And so we're grateful for the way you use our brokenness, our cracks, to shine your light. It's in the name of Jesus that we say thank you and amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.